Flexibility is great. That's why there's yoga. Flexibility for your insurance coverage is great too. That's why there's United Healthcare Insurance Plans. Underwritten by Golden Rule Insurance Company, United Healthcare Insurance Plans offer flexible, budget-friendly coverage for medical, vision, dental, and more. One of these plans may be right for you if you're, say, between jobs, coming off your parents' plan, turning a side hustle into a full hustle, or even missed open enrollment. Want more flexibility? Find out more about United Healthcare Insurance Plans at uh1.com. There's never been a faster or easier way to start your weight loss journey than with Plush Care. Plush Care accepts most insurance plans and gives you online access to board-certified physicians who can prescribe FDA-approved weight loss medications like Wigovi and ZepBound for those who qualify. Take charge of your health and speak with a board-certified physician about a weight loss plan that's right for you. Get started today at plushcare.com slash weight loss. That's plushcare.com slash weight loss. plushcare.com slash weight loss. If you're struggling to lose weight, you've probably heard about weight loss medications like Wigovi or ZepBound, and you might be wondering if they're right for you. Meet PlushCare, a leading telehealth provider with doctors who are there for you day and night to partner with you in your weight loss journey. If you qualify, they can safely prescribe you medication from the comfort of your own home. To get started, visit plushcare.com slash weight loss. That's plushcare.com slash weight loss. plushcare.com slash weight loss. Hello and welcome to the Creative Tech Podcast, where we discuss how technology can help you to be more creative. This podcast is made by the National Centre for Creativity, enabled by AI, which is a bit of a mouthful, so we call it CBAE for short. It's presented by the Director of CBAE, Professor Neil Maiden. Neil, who's in the studio today? Today I'm really delighted to introduce our podcast guest. He is someone who has been an inspiration to many of us, one of the father figures of modern human-computer interaction, directly responsible for making our everyday digital tools more usable and more effective. He has contributed to several inventions that today we take for granted, the direct manipulation of objects and actions on our digital devices, the ubiquitous touchscreen keyboards on our smartphones, and their dynamic query sliders for a more insightful exploration of data. What's more, he's researched both the nature of creativity and new digital tools to support people's creative thinking. I am, of course, talking to Ben Schneiderman, distinguished university professor in the Department of Computer Science at the University of Maryland and founding director of its Human Computer Interaction Laboratory. Ben, welcome to our podcast. Thank you, Neil, for that generous invitation. Oh, I wish I was sitting here to you in London, but I'm here yeah. in Singapore. Thank you. Irish, how's your summer been so far? Um, mostly pretty good. It's lovely, cool, sunny, and great for exploring the scenic mountains and islands. Oh, I'm jealous. I'm jealous. <laughs> so I'm going to start up with some questions related to some of our core work in CBay. Uh, we're exploring how AI can augment rather than automate human creativity. Uh, one of your current projects is investigating human-centered AI 
and you've developed a, a new framework for it. Um, can you tell us about this framework and in particular what's motivating it? Right, Neil, thank you. Yes, this has become my latest passion uh, as I explore how we can uh, guide the, the emerging notions uh, about artificial intelligence into a productive form that ensures human control even as we increase the levels of automation. That's the surprising twist of this HCAI framework. The old belief was that if you got more automation, you had less human control. I got more and more concerned that that was a problematic way and a, a mind-limiting approach. And so it, it, it grew on me that there was another way to think about it. And the breakthrough thought was to actually separate out and to say, you could have high levels of human automation and uh, high levels of human control and high levels of computer automation, that you could get both. That's the spirit of the time. So let's get both. And so that happens in the devices that we use for creative work, like taking pictures. Our digital cameras give the users control. They point the camera where they want. They compose as they wish. They zoom in and they click to get their decisive moments. At the same time, the AI is providing support by setting the aperture, by making the focus work, and by reducing hand jitter. So there's many ways that you get high levels of automation and high levels of human control. The distinction is to look for the things that are important for creative contributions, and then look for the things that AI or machine automation can do with high accuracy and reliability. That's the magic combination that people are finding more and more works in order to make creativity support tools and a variety of applications that are meaningful from medical applications to transportation uh, to legal decision-making, etc. Your development of the framework would suggest that not all apps are are as effective as um, taking photographs on our mobile phones. There's there's a gap there. There's a, a deficiency that you're seeking to address. Right. I mean, so the framework is a way of thinking. And of course, there are many small refinements. Sometimes you want to change the lighting that the machine has automatically uh, selected, or you want to change the focal point. I think many users of digital cameras are sometimes annoyed as they're trying to focus on a person in the background, but the trees in the foreground become the focal objects. And so uh, enabling the user even greater control when they want it becomes the formula to ensure creativity. Or another one that I've yet to find, here's an idea, uh, which is sometimes I want to take a picture of a waterfall and I want a slow exposure so that I get the sort of flowing effect of the waterfall. I have yet to find a a you know digital camera on a mobile phone that permits that. Uh, my larger digital camera does allow such things. So it's possible, but we need to embed those things in convenient forms. The other thing mm -hmm. digital camera design does that supports creativity is in advance of your picture, you can select the style of the photo and the filters, etc. Then once you've taken the photo, you can edit it, you can crop it, you can change the lighting and the contrast and shadows, et cetera, et cetera. And then it's socially connected. That's another magic form of creativity when you can send your, your creative work easily 
to colleagues, friends, and so on, and get feedback, it accelerates the process of creativity because you learn from others as to what they say. So those are the combinations of strategies that I think will will you know increasingly become the norm. Mm -hmm. And what's the reaction to the framework been so far? I mean, many software engineers and software developers are sometimes late to the party when it comes to the need to understand. Sure, it. sure. There are people who get it right away and they say, of course, why didn't I think of this? It's sort of, mm. they, it opens their mind and they suddenly realize new possibilities. Others are skeptical uh, and say, I don't get it. It seems inevitable and it seems necessary to have a zero sum game. How can I not have, how can I have more automation and more control? seems contrary to thinking and it was to me as well but that takes mm -hmm. a while for a fresh idea to sink in and mm -hmm. and that's still happening so i don't expect an easy road neil uh, i think i'm going to be <laughs> challenged by doing this but i'm you know i'm telling the story in papers i published and the book on human-centered ai will fill out the story uh, with its mm -hmm. publication by oxford university press in january 2022 Excellent. Well, that's a book I shall look forward to reading and handing out to all of our centre staff. It's so central to our approach. Does Another the framework... Oh, sorry, to, go on, Ben. To, to change the metaphors and language. This one's another mm. real challenge, that the current language about intelligent agents and social robots and computers as teammates and autonomous systems, that's the dominant language. And uh, mm. I spent the last few days at two different conferences making the case that that's not the way to think about design, that there are better ways to think about design. Oh, you're welcome to think about it that way. But I would say stronger ways are the language that I use, maybe less charismatic, but I think more appropriate is super tools, active appliances, telebots, and control centers. And those uh, suggest the clarity of human control over over systems and that's what mm -hmm. that's what's i think needed in the change of thinking i mean will be a tough change as well uh because there's such a strong belief in computers inevitably being teammates and social robots yes. yet the history has shown otherwise and, and i think the future is bright for super tools active appliances telebots and control centers does your framework drill down on how a, a super tool might might support uh, our users is it does it become prescriptive in any way to help designers? I try to. I try to. I think that's it. We have a lot of discussion about ethics for AI and grand principles, and my effort is to shift from that to the design thinking necessary mm. for how to accomplish it. What are the guidelines that specify how to do it? So some of them are really simple. They're often visual designs like the digital camera, uh, and they do things like they give you a preview of what the picture will look like before you take it. Remember, not too far in the past, you know, when you took a picture, you didn't really get to see what it looked like till you got your prints back from the, mm. <laughs> the store. And, and now we, as we move our camera, zoom in and it, we see immediately what the picture will look like. And that kind of feedback is what the super tool should be. Similarly, for GPS navigation systems, we choose a route, 
It gives you a set of choices, shows you the estimated times, even where the congestion is. Lots of AI at work, but you're in control. You choose the route and off mm. you go. And that notion I capture in a simple guideline. I try to be compact and pithy, so it's preview first, mm. okay? Mm -hmm. Select and initiate, then manage execution. And that's right. a formula you may recognize, because I think you know my earlier work about information visualization, that suggested a different and similar principle. Overview first to get to see the mm -hmm. whole territory of the data, zoom and filter, then details on demand. And the central notion of that was the primacy of the human user. That is, the human gets to see the overview. The human selects what to zoom in on and what to filter out, and then that person clicks to get the details on demand. So those are two of the principles and the new set of eight principles for HCAI joins what I call the eight golden rules of user interface design many years ago, which have propagated quite widely. And I hope this new set of rules will continue to clarify what designers need to do as they make systems that really ensure human control while increasing the levels of automation. That's fascinating. Thank you, Ben. Have you thought about how these eight principles might be applied to what are often called digital creativity support tools that may be supporting people in work and more focused tasks than taking a photograph? Have you given much yes, thought to that's, that? That's always on my mind. Uh, we often think about task-oriented things of practical work in arranging transportation or doing medical care. But yes, I'm always aware of the creative work that's potential for the artist who makes visual designs, the videographer who's preparing a video, the musician, the uh, screenwriter, all those different creative industries could be facilitated um, by these, these processes that give them uh, a clarity of control and particularly let them explore alternatives. I think the key mm. to creativity support, well, one of the keys mm. is to rapidly explore alternatives, to be able to see many possibilities quickly, try them out and see how they compare and how they work out. Different cropping, different shading, different lighting, uh, different, you know, different music, different rhythms, different ways that you can explore. That's the essence to me of, of supporting human creativity to allow that exploration and also the social process of easily sharing what you've done mm. to get feedback. So a, a great stimulant for creativity is the fact that YouTube or other mechanisms let people share their creative work with, it used to be, you know, only Hollywood could reach a million people and now high school kids make uh, projects that reach a million people. And the feedback you get from that is a great accelerator of your understanding of creativity. Uh, so I think that's really another important part. We must remember that people are social and we wanna support their social connections. That's why we have art exhibits and music performances uh, because we want to be together. We want to applaud and we want to look and see the reactions of our of everyone around mm. us. And so that social process is really important. 
fascinating again. Focusing more on digital creativity support, um, you've developed some in, in the past, it's, it's, it's high profile publications, uh, our centers seeking to develop a, a new generation of these technologies using certain AI techniques. Have you got thoughts about what kinds of AI technologies and techniques work well or might work well for digital creativity support? depends what kind of creativity you're supporting. I mean, there's the scientist's creativity uh, that you might be supporting, and there's the artist's creativity, and the designer and the engineer, those are all different forms, or the, the physician's creativity, the nurse's creativity. We need to understand and make sure that more people are more creative more often. That's what we want to support. At every level, we want to explore that capacity uh, to support creativity in, in, in fresh ways. And by making it easy to do those things, to try many alternatives, we uh -huh. give people the chance to explore and then to capture what they do. A lot of people are quite, well, so we say shy or lacking in confidence. And the uh -huh. fact that they can do something creative and they can share it with a friend is the big, big breakthrough. That's what digital cameras changed uh -huh. 30 years ago. Maybe 10% of the population were, you know, serious amateurs. 1% were quite professional. And a lot of mm. people just never took photos. Um, but mm. well, that's, that's shifted completely in that we have a large number of people taking photos and sharing them. And the photos they take are pretty good. They're not all great, uh, but they learn from that. And they get the feedback and they see why something's... Um, lacking in clarity, why the lighting is from behind and therefore puts the face in the shadow. Uh, and so people come to learn by doing, and that's what we want to support. Now that's at the novice level. At the expert level of artist and master and creative, we have the same idea, but they want to push the boundaries even more. And so they may push past what current systems allow people to do. And so uh, we need the, the tools to enable a second level of creativity, which is creativity about creativity tools. That is ways in which programming can be made more accessible to more people. Yes, uh, my students are great in building new tools and new software, um, but uh, they're, again, that 1% of the population. And the growing family of tools, sometimes called end-user programming, or other ways in which people can actually change the tools that they wind up using, uh, mm -hmm. I think you know will will remain a small but important trend because those ideas will spread, and and what people will then post is not just their photos, but their new tools for making photography, mm -hmm. and that other people will benefit from their creative uh, tools. Hmm. Now, fascinating. We were talking about end user development and end user programming for, for creativity yesterday. Um, coming back to the earlier point about self-belief, it's something that we've observed, um, for example, with journalists, where we put what we think are reasonably effective creativity support tools in front of journalists. Um, and there is clearly a perception that they don't see themselves or their work as creative. So there's issues with creative self-belief, which are coupled to how the technology is yep. used. Do you have views on how we can boost or bolster people's creative self-belief, which is often drilled out of us in the education system? 
Yeah, I think that's uh, that's been raised by many people as an issue that we all want to return to the state of being a child and being free to explore and play. And yes, some of that is needed. So I think those strategies and just the, the social environment that encourages people to try it and not worry about failure, just you know, to go out and explore, try possibilities, look at what you've done, talk, think about. And you may have some AI tools, which will then give feedback or comments about, oh, this portrait's good, but um, the face is in dark and shadow, or the background's too bright, or the distractions are off. And those things may help give people some feedback and the feed that complements the feedback they get from, from people and friends. Mm -hmm. Sometimes it's a creative idea to put the face in the shadow. And maybe huh. that represents a mood, a depressed mood, exactly. an angry mood. And so there may be a purpose to it. But people will become more aware of these principles. And I think that's that's the goal, to make more people more creative more often. So I like huh. your point about how do you, you know, and I, and I don't know more about your struggles with journalists as to why. I mean, sometimes the work of journalism is very uncreative. It's just happened at a sports event or a, a financial uh, report, uh, which can be translated and done by computer. And those things will be done by computer. But the creative sports journalist will make it exciting. We'll find a way to tell a story uh, that's more than the numbers and more than the beginning, middle, and end. It will it will focus on the personality, the challenges, the failures, the, the hopes, the dreams, mm -hmm. the things that make us very special humans. I do believe mm -hmm. people are special. People are not computers. Computers are not people. And we have to remember that people are different. And I think that is a very special case of what people are. Mm -hmm. Oh, yes, computers are special too, but in a very different way. They're just different categories. And those who make the mistake of suggesting that computers are becoming like people or will in the future, I think have got it wrong. I think that idea is uh, severely underestimates the remarkable capabilities of people uh, that I celebrate. Yes, computers will become remarkable, but in other ways they become. Hmm. They can invert matrices a lot faster than I can. Uh, that's not a problem. Uh, they could do all kinds of wonderful things, but the design of those technologies should be in support and in control by people. Do you think we're reaching a point where there's a step change in how technology can support human creativity in different endeavors? Do you think we're, we're either at a point or going through a, a, a phase of change, or is it, are we, am I too optimistic oh, there? I guess I've heard that argument many times, and maybe, but... I tend to see things as more evolutionary. I see precedents to ideas emerging. I see ideas uh -huh. catching on or not and things spreading. Uh -huh. Some things do spread more rapidly. It's sometimes remarkable what can happen. You mentioned, you know, one of my small contributions was the idea of the link. that Certain words are highlighted in the paragraph and you uh -huh. click on that to go somewhere. And, you know, we struggled to put that out for a few years and Berners-Lee saw that and put it in his Spring 89 Manifesto for the web. Oh yes, we call them embedded menus. And he called them hot links, <laughs> hot spots. So sometimes a name works, but then 
he put it into the oh. web, which made a big difference because early versions of web browsers had very more complex ways of, of, of following links. Link idea is an old one, but the visual interface that we developed of this simple light blue highlighting, we tried red highlighting and that was clearly <laughs> visible, but people just didn't read the content, but the light blue was a good balance. And so, you know, Tim Berners-Lee put that into the web by 91, by 93, it became widespread and, and now quite universal that people are, are surprised that anyone had to invent that. So it's, <laughs> it's that kind of idea spread. On the other hand, an idea that I called tree maps um, from 1991, I thought in two years that would be on everybody's laptop, um, but it took a longer time and it was only in 2013 that Microsoft put tree maps into Excel giving it widespread use and other uh -huh. you know, tools for visualization uh, began to use it, but on the larger tools took a while till people accepted a new idea. So uh -huh. I've come to see that the uptake of ideas is very varied and, and I don't yet have a good theory of how to spread things faster, uh, but there's a creative idea that you might want to pursue it or your research colleagues might pursue how do you spread an idea how do you get people to adopt the idea that vaccines are really a good way to stop covid how do you exactly. overcome the resistance that people have and the preservation of old beliefs now some old beliefs are worth keeping but we uh, need to understand how new new ideas can really generate productive outcomes. Oh, absolutely. It's a degree of patience will be needed. Well, you mentioned this idea of, of spreading uh, breakthroughs. Um, in our CBA Center, we are committed to the widespread uptake of its applied research in different sectors and industries. We've been developing a model for that. And the proposal that I wrote to establish and fund the center made reference to your ABC model, Achieving Breakthrough Collaborations. You described this model as a, a manifesto for senior researchers and government policymakers about how to respond to contemporary problems, apply new tech, and promote increased ambition. Do you think technology researchers are doing enough to promote the scale and results of their research in the context of this framework or model? Thank you, Neil, for mentioning that. I remember vividly uh, when that book was published in 2016, I visited and spoke at City University of London. Yeah, and I remember too. Lunch with you and others in your team, uh, we discussed those issues. But the ABC is, as you say, achieving breakthrough collaborations, but also applied and basic combined. Uh, and it's a few other things too, like the playful one that says, ask better questions, uh, <laughs> which <the> slightly <laughs> bridges from the See, but it, I think the idea is there. So, um, you know, the ways to get things going, first of all, is to work on real problems with real partners. That's the applied and basic combined. Huh. Academics partner with people in industry and medicine that have real problems. Those papers, which are signaled by having a co-author who's not an academic, those papers generate five to eight times as many citations in the scientific literature. Wow. It's a dramatic difference. And, and that's, that was a st stunning result that I found after publishing the book and uh -huh. began to investigate citation patterns in the US, in the UK, 
for top institutions, for private and public, and for all institutions. And the, the result is quite durable. That work that works on, you know, research that focuses on real problems with signified by having a partner from industry, government, or medicine, or so on, those papers have a big influence. So that's an important thing. Work on real problems. Real, and if you work on real problems, but keep an academic folks, you get both. You get what I call the twin win. You get a breakthrough theory, which you publish in papers, and you get a solution that's ready for widespread dissemination. So mm -hmm. I think that strategy works. And that's why I called it a roadmap for administrators and for students. I've been heartened by the nice emails I've gotten from students who tell me about how much that influenced their thinking. Now, this breaks from academic traditions, which say work on academic wow, ideas, exactly. work on theory, publish your papers, and so on. And the idea of collaborations, teamwork, is also fresh, but has dramatically changed. In the last 50 years, we've gone from scientific papers and research papers being 50% single author to being only 10% single author. That means 90% of papers uh -huh. now are written by teams of two or more. And so that teamwork is one of the secrets of creativity. Diverse perspectives on a problem really help you see better solutions. Do you think we're doing enough of that? Do we have enough teamwork happening in most of our funded research projects? I mean, the UK is moving slowly towards a greater recognition of what they call impact as part of the um, research excellence framework. It's happening. It's very hard to track, except in the publication records there. But yes, I know many universities still award tenure and recognition for individual work mm. and mm. Um, work done in teams is somehow seen as less. But um, I think it's a, a way to go. You know, many universities are changing their tenure and promotion processes to give some recognition. But you're right, that, that still will take a while. More patience is required. I think that's an overarching outcome of this discussion. Maybe I'm an impatient young man, Neil, you know that. I can see, I can see. Well, we have another, another 50 years. Um, one, I'm going to come back to uh, a feature that we have in our podcast now, which is um, within CBI, our purpose is to build technology that supports and inspires people to be their most creative when problem solving, collaborating and interacting every day. We call it creativity on demand. In this regular feature, I have three questions to test your creativity on demand. First question is, what is the single most important thing you require in order to be creative? Yeah, um, I would say, of course, I'll say there are two. <laughs> <laughs> you can have two. The discovery and exploration of previous and related work. <clears throat> the tools are pretty good. They've gotten dramatically better in my lifetime uh, from the days when you had to send a postcard to someone to ask them to mail you a printed version of their paper, uh, <laughs> which maybe took a month if it worked at all, to the time yeah. where if a student arrives and we have a fresh idea, within three hours, we've digested the literature, found the 10 most important papers, the five most important researchers. We're sending them an email and we say, 
we have this idea that extends your work. What do you think? And so we're off and running. So the capacity to discover previous work is really important. And, you know, that's still the bottleneck in that is we have the search tools that give us the papers we want or the previous mm. work, but it really takes a long time to read and digest them. And tools for summarization of those mm. papers that show me which papers are all of the same class, which one is something fresh and new, those would mm. be helpful. So discovery and exploration or sense-making tools that they're called is one. And the other one I've mentioned already is the capacity to try different things easily. That when I'm writing a paper, I want to be able to write it and easily manipulate it and try different ways of presenting it. I like the little assistances even of synonym finders. I find myself coming to that, you know, quite often of, you know, I use a word and I think about it. I say, it's not quite right. And I can't find the, the, the other word. But the synonym finder is easily accessible. It pops up, gives me eight choices. And there I go. I find a word or it leads me to a new idea and another word and another word and another word. And, and so little tools like synonym trackers or finders wow. are a good one. But also... I need reminders of how to write, how to organize a story. And, and you asked before about how researchers could get their work to be more well adopted. Better writing is one of them. Narrative <laughs> style and presentations wow. that, that make a clear description of what the problem is and what previous solutions were, how your solution is different and what moves, moves it forward what are the problems with it would be really effective. I find the medical literature has shifted productively towards a very structured abstract for papers, which uh, forces writers to have a clear and compact and systematic approach to it is very helpful. Sometimes structure facilitates creativity because it reminds uh, you of things that you forgot. Sometimes structure limits creativity, but I would like to have better tools to help me make the case, tell the story. And then, you know, I, I, I've written a lot of papers and I still find it a challenge to rewrite them for public uh, presentation. How do I simplify, clear, clarify, use simple language? In, in working on this book, I, I had to shift the three academic papers into a book form, which I hope would be more widely readable. And I struggled with that. That's been a challenge for me, Neil. So I need your tools to help me um, <laughs> to help me write better and tell the story in a way that's more compelling. I admire journalists who who open up with a compelling story, follow through, weave an argument, bring voices in and out, and tell the story in a compelling way. I really like that. And although my parents were journalists, I still struggle to find the journalistic storytelling angle for the research that I want to present. So, Well, if I have that tool, I will be using it first because I, I likewise marvel at the ability of journalists to use just a few words to convey so much meaning whilst I scramble around with more complex yeah. paragraphs. Well, I'm only going to give you one answer for the next two questions, I think. Um, in fact, you may have answered the second one already. If you could create any tech or app that could do anything real or imaginary, what would it be? 
yeah, I think it's it's the discovery and sense making facilitation of summarization of large bodies of literature. Okay. There are more than two million scientific papers published each year, and Google mm. and other sources are very effective in me finding things. But when I find things, I still find a hundred or a thousand of them, and I need to yeah. distill them down into the ten and the five that I should read right now. Uh, and so understanding uh, that and sometimes, you know, understanding the particular paper and what's new in that paper uh, is a challenge because we don't, I don't have the background when I go to a new area and I need to develop the foundational side of things so that I can understand what's, what the creative edge is. That's, that's still a challenge. Perfect. And the last question is you could remove one thing from the world in order to make humans more creative what would you remove or bin i would stop the movement to social robots intelligent agents agents autonomous and so on i would uh, i would remove that belief uh, and and yeah. restore let me make it positive i would restore <laughs> the belief in human creative capabilities and and support the ways that people can be creative. The goal of human-centered AI is to amplify, augment, empower, and enhance people. Perfect. A lovely, positive ending. Well, listen, Ben, it's been a real pleasure to talk to you as ever. Thank you for taking the, uh, the time to talk to us. Thank you, Neil. And thank you to our audience for listening to this Creative Tech Podcast, a regular series of conversations to shed light on issues of creativity and how technology can enable more effective ways for humans to be creative. All of the links that Ben has referenced today will be in the show notes. Please take time to like the podcast and leave a review. It really does make a difference. You can also follow us on Twitter at CBay or on LinkedIn creativity enabled by AI. Here's a cool fact. A crocodile can't stick out its tongue. Another cool fact, you can get short-term health insurance for a month or just under a year in some states. United Healthcare short-term insurance plans are designed for people who are between jobs, coming off their parents' plan, or turning a side hustle into a full-time gig. Underwritten by Golden Rule Insurance Company, they offer flexible, budget-friendly coverage with access to a nationwide network of doctors and hospitals. Get more cool facts about United Healthcare short-term plans at uh1.com.